Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast, episode 85. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Tanya Bonez. She's a freelance Enneagram business leader and a life coach. What's an Enneagram? You're about to find out. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm quite excited to be here today. Well, it's our pleasure to have you on. Tell us a bit about yourself, Tanya, and what you do. And what I do? Well, it's um, I, I work as a freelance leadership, business and life coach. There's a lot of coaches out there doing things that um, I'm not comfortable with. I thought it's time for a different approach to do something more personal, more individual. I work with the Enneagram, what a lot of people don't know what, what the hell that is. Um, and the Enneagram is not just another assessment. Um, I don't know, have you guys heard of the Enneagram before? I think I've seen a reference to it on Stephen Wilkinson's website. Good and prosper. I, I looked it up. Oh, doing you a cheated. Bit of, bit of, you cheated. I cheated. <laughs> I cheated, but but I didn't. I didn't look. I only just looked up what it was, and I was like, it said do a test, and I was thinking I might do this, but then I thought I'm a bit scared to find out what it might say, so I stopped. <laughs> well, quite frankly, a lot of people are scared. I was. I got. I got to know the Enneagram about three years ago, and when I did, when I got my results, I was first. I was in shock. Then I was in denial, and then I thought, okay. You're not a Remainer, are you? Excuse me? You're not me? a Remainer, are you? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must admit, um, being German, living in Germany, I, I absolutely envy Great Britain for what's happening there. And I know it's not very popular, and it's in Germany it's high treason to say anything against the European Union. So I probably get some death threats after this podcast. Well, I'm glad you said where you were from because it was it, you wouldn't have been able to tell from your accent that you're in Germany. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe, maybe it's because I grew up very internationally. I lived in England for a couple of years as a child, and coming and it's really funny because coming to England is always a bit like coming home. Oh wow, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sooner or later I'm going to end up on the island anyway. So, but back to the Enneagram. Yes. So the Enneagram is um, not just another assessment. The Enneagram is, um, well, it, it's a tool. It's a roadmap, um, I think, to a better self-understanding. Um, and it, what it actually does, in my opinion, is it opens doors to become a better version of yourself because it shows you which one of nine personality types is dominant in you. Um, but, but that's not the limit. It, it shows you different perspectives and um, it's not like most assessments. It's not static. It's, it's very dynamic, actually. And presumably there's a lot of sort of soft, lilting mood music or, or is that an Enneagram? <laughs> boom, boom, here all day. <laughs> <laughs> no. So when I first saw my Enneagram um, and my results and found out what type I was, I was, I was in absolute and total shock. Is this is the is the Enne, is the Enneagram somebody's specific invention or is it a sort of like widely accepted tool? It's about widely accepted tool. Um, yeah. It's actually very very old, um, but it was rediscovered in the sixties or seventies, and um, it's I think it's a very very powerful tool um, because it gives you also gives you a better understanding of um, of others, giving you a different take on how to deal or work with other people. And what's interesting, it's not about your behavior, 
but it's about your motivation behind your behavior. The reason why I work with it is for one reason, it, it saves my client and myself a lot of time because to get to where you get with the, just with the Enneagram assessment will take me, well, quite a few hours. So it, it also saves my clients a lot of money at the end. I don't know if this is a standard, if there is such a thing as a standard Enneagram or the, the variations. The one I can see in front of me has got um, three fields marked action center, feeling center, and thinking center. That's and just then, part of it. Okay. And then, and then I can see one that, you know, the, the nine categories, strict perfectionist, considerate helper, competitive exactly. achiever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it looks like, I'm trying to think, is there such a, is there something called Briggs-Myers? I remember doing a sort of personality test when I was back at school using Briggs Myers, or possibly as a, at a job interview, so it, it it sounds like a well. I think you said it's 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 a sort of cross between um, character and you say motivation, or you know. Yes, yeah, it's the, it's 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 a lot about the motivation behind your behaviour, what you actually do. So very often, I'll just give you an example. I'm, yeah. which sounds really really wonderful. I'm the considerate helper. I'm a classic. Well, that's that's nice. That's nice. It sounds nicer than it is, and at first, when I saw my result, I thought. I'm a two, I'm a considerate helper. So yes, that's me. I love helping people. This is brilliant. And when I kept reading and I was, yeah, the, 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 the dynamic behind a two or an unhealthy two is, is really um, the need to help. And does, does, it, does everybody fall into one of these categories? Is that the idea? Or a blend of blend of these but categories. But there's also subtypes, and mm. um, but just the example in, in being an enneagram two is I thought really being first. I'm the helper. I'm, that's so great. It's so wonderful. Oh, and right. realizing you're not quite as altruistic as you may have hoped or thought yourself to be. Yeah. Um, and there is motivation behind it, and the motivation behind it is to be accepted, to be loved, to be recognized. Um, so you always think you have to do something to, for people um, to be recognized or to be loved or cared for or whatever. So so the unhealthy two needs has this need to help, even if it's unasked for. So aren't we ultimately all like that? We all have our own desires and motivations and it just sort of manifests oh, yeah. itself. Um, so, so you're basically saying even though you're kind of helpful, you're actually doing it because you have that intrinsic desire to be helpful. Absolutely, absolutely. So every every um, I hate this number; it sounds so awful. But every type um, has certain aspects that are just they're just there, right? But and and what the enneagram does, it doesn't change you. You'd never change the type you are. You're born in your into your type, but you can find a balance. And, is, and, is, and sorry to interrupt again. Is, yeah. is the purpose of the enneagram to to steer people working in a, a collective culture? towards similar types or to actually have a, a, a range of, of different types? No, it's, 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 it's to tap into the potential that, that, that is actually there. You have the wings, um, like a type, me as a type two, my wings would be the one and the three. Right. So you can tap into those potentials and it's knowing, it's, it's actually the knowledge about um, and, and seeing yourself a bit more realistically than you usually like to. And that's why when you do the assessment, for example, there's one I really love and I work with exclusively. It's the Integrative Enneagram. Um, and it's 175 questions. Um, and you really should be extremely honest with yourself and answer the questions honestly and not the way you like to possibly like to see yourself. 
if somebody had like a, a psychopathic tendencies or something like that, or a dangerous personality of some kind, maybe predisposed to alcohol or something, um, well, no. it won't show anything like that then? No, no, no. It's really, it's just about the personality. It's about your motivations and... Um, so it doesn't doesn't show anything like that. So you won't be able to identify a psychopath or a sociopath. Um, I think uh, it'll take a bit more than that, than just 175 questions to do that. Well, 175 questions sounds like quite a lot, really. One of these categories, one of these categories, Paul, is called adaptive peacemaker. And if that doesn't sum up me to a T, frankly, I don't know what does. <laughs> Are you going to change your Twitter handle to adaptive yeah, peacemaker? Yeah, I might just change it to adaptive peacemaker. Yeah, that... I'm absolutely sure that's exactly who you yes, are. Yes, that's right. Building, building bridges between, <laughs> between, between the remainers and the leavers. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh that's yeah. you, Tim. I've I, I, I realised, yes, you, you, you do deserve the, the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> the, there, should be a, there should be a 10 category, which is ca- capable of starting fight in empty room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the reason why I'm talking about this, um, or the Enneagram, is... Um, because it helps me, it really does help me in my in my um, coaching, in my day-to-day coaching, uh, no matter what I do, if it's life coaching, if it's personal coaching or leadership coaching. My preference is actually the leadership coaching. And the reason why I, I started doing this is, um, well, number one, it was a different approach. I don't like, I've been in companies where they brought coaches in. And we had these group sessions where they said, oh, yeah, management team, now you all hug one another or give each other a compliment. And I always stood there and said, no, I'm not doing this. It was like falling off a, off a table backwards and being caught, that sort of stuff. Oh, it, it was, yes. So I always found that hideous. And I thought, how can you do this one size fits all mm. um, and, and just... You know, you, you've learned something and you just dump it over the people and hope something comes out, something good comes out of it, which it usually doesn't. Mm. So if you want to work with someone, I'm an absolute believer that you can only do this one-on-one, and especially with leadership. Um, and the reason why I, I, I decided it has to be done one-on-one is um, because especially in leadership, most, most people come into positions and have no bloody clue what leadership actually means. Yes, that's an interesting point because you can be very good at your job, but not necessarily a good leader. I know from when we worked in the bank, they would they would promote the the most successful traders, but the most successful traders weren't necessarily the best leaders. They weren't the best motivated. I mean, that's that's really a problem in finance, isn't it? Yeah, Paul? that the the so called Peter principle really it's kind of you know works in spades that people get promoted to their own level of in, incompetence, and as you say, the uh, uh, the characteristics that make for a great trader or a great investor will have probably nothing whatsoever to do with someone who can actually be a good manager. Yes. And there's there's a guy we had on the, the podcast some time ago, an economist, Chris Dillow. Yes. And he he has written, he I think he's literally written the book about what he describes as sort of the, the, the evil of managerialism, which is which I think probably in a general sense you can say is is a malaise that sort of infected a lot of the sort of developed world, but particularly the markets, which is there's this cult of, I mean, it, it's practically a sort of a synonym for bureaucracy that you've got a managerial culture. Say, for example, the NHS. Why is the UK health service so, but potentially so, so problematically run? The answer is it's been taken over by managerialists. Mm. So rather than have ten doctors, let's have one Uber manager that can't actually do anything. 
it, it, that that's one part of it. I mean, a leader needs social skills, which a lot of them don't have. So what they do is, out of lack of social skills, um, it, it, the whole thing becomes a dictatorship usually. I say what you have to do, you do it no matter what. No questions asked, just go for it. So what happens after a while when you have a lot of these people in leading positions is that a culture of fear manifests itself in these companies. And the worst thing that can happen to any company is a culture of fear. And I don't know how it is in the UK, but I've worked in a lot of companies in Germany with a lot of companies in Germany, also international companies. Um, and it starts with people or employees who are terrified, even if they're w finished with their day's work, to leave. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's particularly a problem, or it has been historically in Japan, isn't yes. it? That I mean, having worked for two Japanese banking organizations, I saw firsthand the the unwillingness, certainly of the Japanese staff, less so the, the Western staff, but the unwillingness of Japanese staff to leave until the most senior person had already gone for the day. Exactly. So, so it leads to all kinds of well, people just sitting around doing make work just for the sake of it because it's the way it works. Exactly. And even making a sport out of it, who has who has the most overtime, who has more hours than the... So it's, 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 it's hideous. And what happens in this, in this culture of fear is that people just procrastinate. They actually don't do anything until the last minute. And then it's these quick fixes that are bound to go wrong and, and, and blow up in your face. Um, but that's, that's what happens. And the, the, it, the management just doesn't see that it's bad leadership. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting. Coincidentally, Chris Dillow, who I mentioned earlier, is also the person to whom I have a, a debt of, of obligation because he was the first person to put me onto this, this book group think. Mm -hmm. um, by Irving Janis, which is a, basically, sort of, I think he, he may even have coined the term, but that, that again is a huge problem in business, the idea that the kind of not invented here problem that no one no one will do anything without the sign-off of the boss first. Exactly. And so if you've, if you've got someone who doesn't know how to manage people, then there, it's, it's leads to what you say, this culture of fear, whereby because no one's ever going to naysay the boss, nothing ever gets done. Exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. That's exactly the, the the huge problem. And when things get done, or even nobody is nobody is willing to share knowledge because they're so terrified that somebody might be, you know, looking out for a better job, or they want my job, so I, I don't share anything. But nobody is taking responsibility either because nobody wants to be made accountable because a mistake could lead to I'm going to be fired, I'm, I'm, and everything's going to be complete breakdown. Are you, are you, sorry to interrupt, are you familiar with um, a book called The Clue Train Manifesto? No, I'm not. The only reason I mention it is it had a really profound impact on me. And the reason I, I'll say very, very briefly why. So I came across this thing in, I think, 98 or 99 while I was working at Merrill Lynch. And ironically, it's the thing that led me to, it was in a piece of research by a guy called Henry Blodgett, who was Merrill's internet analyst at the time. And ironically, it's the thing that caused me to leave Merrill Lynch uh, voluntarily. And basically, the Clue Train Manifesto is a, a reworking, a modern reworking of Luther's 95 Theses, Martin Luther's 95 Theses, the, 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 the sort of lament that was allegedly nailed to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral yeah. that sparked the Reformation. And what the Clue Train Manifesto effectively is, is kind of like a modern digital, the web changes everything manifesto. And what it says is that for, the very first point is that all markets are conversations. And then the second thing it says is the internet is now, this is back in the nights, of course, the internet is now facilitating conversations between people that, that couldn't previously have happened. For example, the conversation we're having right now. 
and what it goes and what it goes on to say is the web really does change everything to the extent that previously pre-web the, the the way corporations worked was they were either pyramids or sort of totem poles but basically it comp- they comprise of one person typically a bloke a man sitting at the top and all the information in the organization would feed up to him but not necessarily any of it would feed back down so it was very much sort of command control culture and the, the the way sort of business is now sort of in a post internet age is that there's now thousands and thousands of tiny worker ants willing to nibble at those structures and take away a tiny piece of their pie, but collectively they can destroy the business. So in other words, you could argue there's never really been a better time you know, to, to 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 set out in business because the the web now offers you the facility to to, to scale globally very very quickly so it, it transforms everything but it's it's the idea of that the the, the, the pre-internet c- culture of business whereby the person at the top is scouring the horizon for businesses that look a bit like his and is completely oblivious to the fact that there's now all this competition at the at the grassroots level that he can't even see he's not even aware of and it's that idea of the person the pilot you know at the top of the business basically not sharing information with anybody and in these days that's like that's that's sort of one way ticket to sort of corporate disasterville. Absolutely, absolutely. the 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 issue at hand is 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 really that one not sharing information. Um, but it's also what what a lot of companies don't see is that, um, and you have that a lot that you have a lot a really high um, turnaround in 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 employees. That so many people leaving companies and and so many sick days and. I've I've seen that in one company, especially that I that I used to work for, um, that people were sick for weeks because they just couldn't take the strain of of of, of what was happening there anymore. Do you, and, do, you spe- do you specialize in certain types of business, or is it no? Well, well, I well I have worked um, um, with a lot of direct selling companies, and there's a lot of work to be done there. But I think there's also other companies. I mean, it, it applies to to any company that is struggling with with their leadership. Um, they just have to recognize it, and that's the main issue. Because the the thing is, there's always an idiot that will stand up tomorrow morning and take the job anyway. Mm. They won't stand stay for long. And the, the one thing that that companies don't do most of the time is really open up. Um, and, and, and really consider what does it cost losing the know-how if it leaves the company? What, is it, was, what does it just cost to recruit one new employee? What are the costs of training that person, fixing the mistakes they will make in that time, the costs of the sick days that will inevitably come, and that person leaving again in the, within the trial period? I mean, I, I, I can only comment on the topic of sort of investment businesses because that's the only area I've ever, ever worked with, you know, on a full-time basis. But it always struck me as almost wildly altruistic um, and philanthropic of businesses to take on graduate trainees. Because unless the company in question would be someone like Goldman Sachs, the chances are these people would, like as I certainly did, would then flit off and go somewhere else after about two years and double their pay somewhere else. So all all the city is, I mean, I'm sure the city's changed out of all, you know, out of all compass since, since, since I sort of used to work within it when I started out as a graduate trainee. But it just, it just seemed that, you know, all that would happen was graduate trainees would be hired from the milk round or whatever, and then after two years they'd all be gone. And I couldn't work out why city firms would do that. That there was no, there seemed to be no, there seemed to be no focus on on retaining people once they've gone through the trial process. Yeah, 
which is which is stupid, which is plain stupid. Because if you see talent, if you see potential in someone, maybe not even the potential you were immediately looking for. But and that's another thing that a lot of people or in, in within companies that the what is looked at are the weaknesses of people. I mean, in job interviews, people when they ask you, oh, what's your what's your biggest weakness? Mm. And I'm always flabbergasted by that. It's like, ask me about my strengths, what I can give to the company, what well, what potential well, my my biggest weakness is like, my biggest weakness is I'm far too humble. That's the big problem I've got. Yeah. But I mean, Paul, what about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Like um, oh, I don't know. Uh, what what do they always say? It's always they always turn it into a positive, don't they? The, exactly. Yeah, like they'll say exactly. something like, um, "Oh, I'm I'm far too meticulous in my work, and uh, I I, oh, I God, find yeah. I find it really hard to let go." And uh, you I, know, I, I do far too I, much I'm just, unpaid overtime, and my work in charity. I, I always as well. struggle to say no. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. I take yeah, on too he, much work. <laughs> I mean, I had that in a job interview once and I thought I didn't, I knew immediately I don't want that job anyway. And it was this kind of, the question came, so what are your weaknesses and your strengths? And I said, no, I really have a weakness for problems and my strength is solving them. Any other questions? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he sort of looked at me and it's like, I, I, okay. I mean, I knew I did, I, I, obviously I did not get the job, which I didn't want anyway, but it was, it was, it was quite funny at the time. So... And yeah, I, I tell you, I've got to. I just wanted to circle back slightly to when to, to what you're saying about um, this whole process, because in my mind, I just want to work out: Do you try to get the manager at the recruitment point, which is before they've gone into the company, or are you trying to identify the manager who may be problematic once he's in the company, or she, I should say, and yes. and I guess the problem around that is that you how do they then come to, to realize that they've got a problem until maybe too late? And-, and that's, and that's, and that's actually the biggest struggle um, to, to make that very, very clear. Um, it's, it's, it's actually quite, it's, it's a lot of word of mouth. Uh-huh. Um, thankfully um, that people come to me and very often it starts, people come to me when they realize they've just left a company and something is wrong. Um, funny enough, a lot of women, isn't that strange, me being a woman, um, that I attract women? Um, but it's also that inc- that companies come and say, okay, we do have a problem. We see that there is an issue. Mm. Um, and then I, I, I go into the company very openly. Everybody knows why I'm there and what I'm doing. Um, and I have one-on-one conversations with, um, it depends on how big the company is. It's, maybe it's just a team. It can be a small company. Um and I just talk to the people and find out where's the root of the problem. And um, the one thing, though, is when there are certain people that need to be worked with and they don't see the necessity themselves, then I don't do it. Right. I see. I could. I could. I could. And they would probably sit in there with me and they would do everything I tell them. And as soon as I'm gone, they would just go back to what it was. So I only work. And that was a decision I made. I only work with people who are willing to work with How me. How do you know that, though, before you've actually met them? You don't know. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know before, but sometimes you have a couple of sessions with the, with, with that person and um, and you realise, oh, they're sitting there and they, they... You have two kinds of people. You have people who are very reluctant because they think they what they're doing is great. They're God's gift to mankind and um, they're the best in whatever they do anyway. And... It is very, very difficult, and it's not my job to convince someone, yes, you are great, but there's always room for improvement. Um, And 
The other ones are that they just sit in there and expect to be enlightened by me. Right. So it's like your problem to solve their problem. Sort of exactly yeah. and that is not how it works and i've had that also in in when i've done life coaching with people that i said okay after three sessions i could keep and string you along for a long long time and i could earn a lot of money with you and i can't do it mm. it's not what i do it's not what i want to do and um so i said if you're willing to do the work please come back i'm right here my door is open but for now we are finished can you tell a personality type like or have a very strong idea of what they're like from a from a few meetings with them before they've done this test. Um, I usually try to get people to do the test before we start. Uh-huh. So what I do, so what I do, the first hour with me, when I when I when a new client comes to me, the first hour is free. Because I think this is um when you coach someone, um, it's very personal. I have to find out, can I work with that? Or try to find out in that hour, that's my investment. Can I work with that person? Can that person work with me? It has a lot to do with, with trust, obviously. Um, and sometimes when the people are all, all over the world. So with I do it a lot online, but only with video calls, obviously, because I have to at least see the person. Um, and I try to find out what's the issue. Some people just come, I, I just... I'm stuck. I I'm, I don't know what, to, what my next steps could be. I'm, I don't feel comfortable with myself anymore. There's just some form of self-knowledge, self-development. I just want to do something. Others come with a with a certain issue. Um, especially, I, I work a lot with women, especially in my life coaching and and, and women. Very very often, it's the, the especially in the business world, it's the lack of self-esteem. It's it's um, the self worth they, they they really have i mean you know that as well I, I probably shouldn't be saying this as a woman but women always complain that they earn less for the same job than men and i think in 99 percent of the cases it's because they don't ask for it mm. yeah they sell themselves under worth so um and and for me it's sort of this empowerment to be proud of what you do and i can give you an example i'm a mother of two um, I was most of the time, I was a single mother. I always worked and I worked a lot. I traveled a lot and everybody said, oh my God, what you do, it's amazing. And I always downplayed, oh, you know, it's just a question of organization. Anybody can do that. And at a certain point I thought, bloody hell, yes, I'm so proud of what I do and what I've done. And it did cost a lot of energy and it was hard and it was a lot of work. And I'm brilliant at doing it. I have two great children. I'm successful in my job. I'm great. And if a man if a man says that, it's the most normal thing in the world. But women mm. really, really struggle. And I'm not a feminist. I'm the last mm. person to say I'm a feminist. It's it, but yeah, I, it's sort of like what Jordan Peterson was saying about um, how you know when he had that. I don't know if you saw his famous interview with uh, what was it, Katie? I can't remember her name. Uh, Kathy uh, something. Anyway, um, <laughs> he he was saying, look, you know, the, the difference between men and women in business is that and he supports women and tries to help Kathy 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 Newman, Newman. Newman. Well Kathy thanks, Newman. thanks thanks channel thanks, 4 channel 4 news thank you and he basically says look i i coach i support women i just try i make them they they have to be more aggressive they have to ask for more you like men are just less tolerant they will just they will they won't put up with stuff that women put up with and and that's that's where the problem is you know it's a cultural thing and maybe things are changing but you have to recognize that you can't just expect the men 
in the office to say, well, actually, you know, we're not going to fight tooth and nail to get higher scores than you because you're a woman. You've got to, you've got to get on and do it yourself. Absolutely. I completely and totally agree with you. And, it, and it's, not, it's not the men's fault that women are in this position. Women usually, or most of the time, women put themselves in the position. And the next mistake they make, and I don't know if you've seen that maybe, that very often when you see women um, that climb the ladder and they get into this, these higher positions that they all of a sudden become a lot less feminine, that they yeah. mutate all to men, which is awful. Well, I always think, why do you do that? You don't have to adapt. You don't have to try to become a man. I mean, we are different, and I hope we will always stay different. We're different physically. We're different mentally. We're different in so many aspects. And in the best case, we complete one another. It's a breath of fresh air to hear you say something like that because it's almost like taboo to even approach that subject. But it's it... well, as a, yeah, especially I think as a man. I mean, as a woman, I'm probably going to get death threats again from <laughs> from women, lib, um, whatever. But but I'm, I'm I'm it's my it's it's my it's only my perspective of the things. But I I I I I'm so tired of of women whining and moaning. And the worst thing when I when I heard that um, in Germany, I don't know if you had that in the UK that the the uh, in politics they were talking about a women's quota. In 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 um in certain positions, and I thought, oh my god! So we have a quota for disabled people, and now we have a quota for women. And I felt, I thought, okay, if you get a good job, if you're offered a good job, you don't even know is it because I'm qualified or is it because I'm a woman and you need to fulfill a quota. And I thought that was so disparaging. Yes. Why don't you just? hire people for their qualities for what they can do and i can only tell every single woman out there go for it and know what you're worth and ask for it and if you ask for too little don't complain afterwards there's i think there's, there's probably a comparison you can also make i mean we're talking about the the, the gender uh gap if you like and there's this i don't know if you've seen it i don't know how much time you spend on twitter i i need to spend about 23 hours a day on twitter so i i don't get it i don't get absolutely everything off twitter but it, it does tend to be my my get my, my primary go-to sort of news and media uh, source now and there was um uh well basically i think to sum up the question would be how how woke is is germany is sort of german corporate culture in your experience there was a thing on Basically, I'm going to make the the comparison with because uh, we're talking about gender. I'm going to make the comparison with uh, with with race race. So there was a um, a guy called Lawrence Fox who was on BBC's Question Time during the week, and the sort of um, well, there was a woman in the audience that basically accused him of being racist. Um, to which he said, "Well, actually, you're you're being racist by labelling me racist." And he got ridiculous, but he was he was basically a sort of breath of fresh air in terms of the whole racism debate. Uh, and uh, in the UK, I think don't know if it's a result of Brexit or or not, but Twitter has been a buzz with people wading in uh, about about this. And uh, the there's there's a an, a union called Equity which represents actors, and the the Equity Minority Ethnic Members Committee has called on fellow actors to unequivocally denounce Lawrence Fox for the comments he made during this this question time thing, and it's become a a huge cause célèbre. In much the same way that Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes was just such a breath of fresh yeah. air, because he he had a he had a go at absolutely everybody, and it's almost as if since Brexit, since it, not so much since the Brexit vote, but since 
Boris Johnson got elected and it now looks like we're finally going to get out of this, this damn thing, that all the other dominoes are now starting to fall as well. So all the people who are most the most wokiest of the woke are now be sort of being put back in their box. I was just so I was just really just going to ask is I would say that 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 one of the biggest problems we have here in the UK across the piece now is that the, the sort of the uh, as uh, to to put to sum it up, there was a great phrase I, I came across a year or so ago, which is the left has won the the culture wars and now it's going around shooting the survivors. So there's like this this complete dominance of sort of lefty liberal belief uh, identitarianism, um, and and class is maybe a part of that. And it, we've got the Labour leadership election, which is hilarious, comedy gold occurring in that. But you've got you've got you've got class, you've got race, and you've got gender, all sort of you know be, being these sort of hot button issues. To what extent is that is that reflected in Germany, if at all? Well, it's 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 pretty much. I think it's very very similar. I, I think yeah. in general, it's 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 a worldwide issue. Now, it's becoming a worldwide issue. This, excuse my language, fucking political correctness. Why do you why do you think that's happened? Is is it, do you think there's a specific cause, or is it just something that's arisen spontaneously from the? Culture? No, I don't think it's arisen spontaneously. It's just people trying to find excuses. Why? I, I really do believe that. I mean, I, I see that a lot, for example, even with, uh, with with homosexuals. They have such prejudice towards heterosexual people. It's amazing. <laughs> no, seriously. No, I'm laughing because it's <laughs> absolutely true. It, it, well, it can at be. The end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm very, very... No, I'm not a simple person. I'm a woman. I'm very complicated, obviously. But in one... Go, aspect, go sister, go. But, but in one aspect, I am really, really simple. And that is there's three kinds of people for me. Mm. Three, no more. The ones I like, the ones I don't like, and the ones I tolerate. Mm. So, and and I don't really care. And I had this, I had this, um, it was amazing. I was on a, on a, on a trip in Greece and um, it was a sports trip. It was quite fun. And there was this one woman, she asked this, and, and, and everybody, there were lots of people around her. And she walked up to this guy and she said, really loud for everyone to hear. And she said, are you gay? And he was in total shock. And I just looked at her. Oh, are you hetero? And what's your religion? And what's your favorite position? Yeah, exactly. And, and she business. just looked at me and I thought, who cares? Exactly. Do you like the guy? Do you think he's a nice person? Yes or no. If he has antennas on his head and his face is purple, I couldn't care less. Exactly. If he's an ass, he's an ass. And if he's a great guy, he's a great guy. It's like saying, what's his eye colour? Who cares? It's like, it's, it's exactly. just not, it's not a conversation anymore, is it? About, no, it, it shouldn't no, be. The, the trouble is it shouldn't be, but it still is. Or even in the US, if a man is in an elevator and a woman comes in, he goes out if there's nobody else in there because he's terrified yeah. of a sexual harassment suit, yes. lawsuit. It's, it's becoming, so this whole... Thing of of what am I allowed to say? Is it politically correct? Could I step on somebody's toes? And I think it's nerve wracking. I think what it's really nerve wracking. What Ricky Gervais said. I, I don't know if you saw a post. A, saw the post it. interview. Did you did you see the post? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I didn't no, see the, that. the post interview uh, with him about what he said was great, and he basically just said, um, you know, you know what? Five years ago, I couldn't have done this, or you know, a few years ago, I couldn't have done this, mm. but now. There are so many people who are offended by so many things. It's just exactly. like, well, I just don't care anymore. It's gone too far. Mm. Yeah, they'll be offended. It, so what? You know, it's like pff, everybody's offended. Whatever you say, people are offended. You say something. Exactly. So, so you may as well just say what you think and just go, yeah, whatever. But there was, 
There was I'm sure things time. that I've said in this podcast will offend people, maybe even women. They say, oh, how can you say this as a woman? Yes. And I even remember in a, a job interview I had, um, I was in my mid-20s. It was a job I was really interested in. And um, they said, well, do you have questions? And I said, yeah, I'd like to know are there, how many people are still in the running, and um, or, except for you two others. I said, oh, great. So any other questions? Said, yes, is, is one of them a man? And they looked at me and said, well, why would, why do you want to know? We said, well, to be honest, a man doesn't get pregnant. So if I have equally qualified, if, if I were to hire, I would take the man. And they looked at me completely shocked. Yeah, you, you could not say that. You could not say that in the UK. I said, I have to say that as I, I can say that as a woman. And I would say that as a, I'm saying this as a human being, not as a woman. Yes. It's logic. To me, it would be logical because I know um, with the laws we have in Germany, which are hideous. Um, can't it, do that. It, it can, it can be ruinous. It can be ruinous for 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 a small company. It, it, it used to be the case that that no, and I'm thinking now, probably going back to the 1970s, that uh, when people got offended, it was for good reason. And so the the one of the biggest comedians we had at the time was a guy called Bernard Manning, who was the definition <laughs> the definition of political incorrectness. But he was very funny. But you, he, you you wouldn't you would not be able to broadcast Bernard Manning on on the TV now because so many people would take so much offence. I think it was I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt that said no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So I'm I'm strongly minded to believe that a lot of this so-called, you know, offence taking is actually just basically victim cry a cult of victim cry bullying which is well the only way I can get your attention is by being outraged at something you've just said that was completely innocuous. Well, as another wonderful key key word is is victim the people mm. tend to victimize themselves. And I think that's because you asked me uh, before, what, why do you think this, was it spontaneous development or not? It's so much easier for people to victimize themselves and, and, and um, don't take responsibility and not being made accountable for what they're doing or for what they're not actually doing and saying, oh, it's because I'm gay. Oh, it's because I'm a woman. Oh, it's because I'm this or because I'm that. It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. And not take yeah, and not taking responsibility. And it's, I think I think that's how this and I think this development is 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 increasing. Have you heard of a sorry to interrupt? Have you heard of a gentleman called Paul McGee? No, because um, Paul McGee is a, is a is a coach here in the UK, and I I, I had the pleasure of, of of hearing one of his presentations probably ten years ago or so now, maybe a little bit longer than that. And he has he's coined this 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 phrase sumo, which is short for shut up and move on. Um, <laughs> Which I, I quite like, like. <laughs> exactly. And I and, and I've I've seen him present two or three times now. And one of the things, and I think you can probably find this on YouTube, um, but he he talks about sort of victim, you know, this whole, whole sort of cult of victimhood. And he he says, and he and he gets out on on stage, he gets out a, a t shirt with victim emblazoned on it. <laughs> uh, and then after the after the presentation, he said a, a woman came up to him and said. Have you got any of those victim T-shirts for sale? I'd like to, I'd like to buy a few. <laughs> I love that. I'd like to pass a few, a few of those out as well. Loads of times, actually. I think I'd need a truckload of them. Um, and I, and I see that every day in my work that people really and 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 even with the with the enneagram and and some people it's really funny when they get their results they say oh now I understand and oh now I know I can't help it I said uh uh-uh, uh no way now you know. And now you don't have an excuse anymore. And so, how? So, can you give us an example of of what somebody's personality might read on the enneagram, and and then how 
you might help them improve themselves, like what they might be doing that's actually um, kind of restricting their career or, 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 or putting them in, in a circle of, 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 mm. of kind of a downward spiral or something, something that they're not really aware of or weren't until they, they did the test? Um, oh, I think I think almost almost everybody has that. There's, for example, um, the three is the competitive achiever. What, what does what um, does that mean? The the three. The competitive. What does the, the three, three mean? Type three is called. Oh, uh, type the, the type three. Oh, I see. Type three. Type three. Yes, type three is called the competitive achiever. So these are always people. These are people. This is very general, of course, because everybody's an individual and everybody's different. There's subtypes as well. I'm not going to go into that. Otherwise, we'll be here for the next. How much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but these are, for example, these are people who always want to be the best at everything. Um, they, they, uh, they're also they're they're also called the chameleons because they adapt to situations very very quickly and very often lose their own identity while doing that. So they accommodate every situation and and really get into that very well. But at the end of the day, they're they're alone. And they don't know who they really are because they keep just they, they just keep adapting all the time and trying to be the best at everything they do. That's that's so amazing. So, for example, I've just seen a documentary called Building Jerusalem. It's about mm -hmm. the, uh, the 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 rugby uh, men's rugby and how it went from amateur to professional. Johnny Wilkinson. Mm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with who he is, but he came across as being somebody who was absolutely obsessed with being the best. I mean, he mm. was so obsessed that when he was a kid, he he spelt the word, he was he said in the interview, he spelt the word gauge wrong and it, it bothered him for months. And he said yep. months after something had happened on the pitch of rugby that everybody had forgotten, he couldn't get it out of his head. And he, he exactly. also thought that the, the other members of the team didn't want him to be in it, even though he was possibly one of the most fantastic players you've ever come across. And you can mm. just see how, like, if you could do something to help him mentally, to, to like, mm. stop that destructive process, you know, how mm. much type, better his life type, would be. Absolutely. Type and, and, type, with, type, and type, Sorry, type one of the Enneagram that I've got in front of me is strict perfectionist. Oh, yes. So that, if that would... Sounds, be, sounds like our friend. Yeah. That, that's a very nice example as well. These are the people who have really, everything has to be very accurate. For example, if you look into a... A woman's handbag, usually it's completely chaotic. If you look into mine, oh, dear, don't do it. You, you wouldn't survive well, it. Well, there is a rule, never look in a woman's handbag. There is a, there is a rule. You may never come out. But with, exactly. And you, you will find stuff from, yeah, don't, don't, don't get But hang on a minute. What, what, what does that tell you then? If it's organised, if it isn't, what, what can we read about a personality? By... Then it's probably, it's probably, it's, not probably. I, I would dirty, never. Dirty, I would never. Dirty, I would never type anyone by their handbag. Dirty, <laughs> dirty desk, dirty desk, dirty mind. That's all we need to know. Exactly. But, but these people are much more organised. Or, for example, a six. The sixes are very. Um, sixes always have the worst case scenarios in their head, and it was quite interesting. Mm. I spoke to a six, and she's she she gave me an example of of what her life is like, and it was, I was shocked. I was really shocked because she said, "I hate flying." I said, "Oh, why?" So because I, get, I come into the airport and I start scanning people and think, okay, who could have a weapon? Who could do me harm? Who could have a bomb? Oh, who wow. could? Yeah. And, and then she said, and when I stand in line for boarding, I do the same. I, I go on the plane and I scan everybody. And it, it, she's, terrif and it, she's terrified. She's oh terrified. So and, and this is an extreme example. But um, 
that is something that that, that people um I couldn't relate to that in the beginning because, and that's what the Enneagram helps you with as well. Understand other people when you see, okay, what are, of, of course, it's, 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 uh, it's very superficial in the beginning, but what are the, the, the core types? What do they stand for? Um, and I would never type anyone by just talking to them or seeing them because I think that's absolutely arrogant and you never know. Mm. And the behavior can be very different from the motivation. I would be I would I would be fascinated to know whether if there's an enneagram to cover investing. Well, cover I, sort of I think there's a lot of psychology. Beca- yeah, because you you just because Tanya just mentioned the I think type six is loyal skeptic on the, exactly. the, the, the enneagram you, yeah. I've got, and I wonder whether there's well I'm sure in my own mind there is there, there must be a sort of a, a follow through to say to to for example the the phrase perma bear. Mm. I mean I'm often sort of labelled a perma bear because I have a I would say skeptic skeptical attitude towards markets and towards particularly sort of macro things like QE and zero interest rates and money printing and all the rest. And now the sort of the dread anticipation of, of MMT, modern monetary theory, which I, I, I just want to get out of the way. The, uh, there are the three pieces I've recently read uh, from highly credible people, including Sir Stephen, who wrote one of them, uh, Sir Stephen Wilkinson. And I've read three separate, well-argued, credible pieces, all all suggesting that we are in for a barrel load of inflation because modern monetary theory is about to be unleashed on the world. Um, and I heard the same conclusion at a Money Week conference at the end of last year. And so the panellists on, on that panel were uh, James Ferguson, who's a very good economist. Yes. Um, uh, it was a late, Gillian Tett from the FT and uh, Daniel Hannan, who uh, Tanya may know as, as a, a, Euro, a Eurosceptic MEP and one of our finest political speakers. Anyhow, to go back to the point, it, I, I just would be am- really intrigued to, to see whether there is an Enneagram to cover investing. And I suspect there must be. Mm, I'm not sure because it's, 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 it's a very personal thing. So what, what you can, it, it's, so, 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 for example, there could be a, the most simple sort of binary enneagram, which has simply got two categories: one is bull and the other is bear. Well, well know, there there are certain tests already out there that you can do as a, I'm, a, I'm, you can take I'm, as a trader. But I, I think you're you're on, you're on the right track, basically, Tim. I because basically when when I sort of train people and, and going back to my early studies of the markets, as as you know, and as as kind of you, you've said before, you, you you start to look at the psychological elements more than mm. you actually look at the, the the actual mechanics of trading. So trading itself is very simple in its in its makeup. But why is it so mm-hmm. hard? It's so hard because it's a, a psychological game. Are you yeah. actually against the market or are you against yourself? And what you find yeah. is you're actually against yourself. You're not against the market at all. And if you listen to... Because we, we, we personalise the market, but the market is simply yeah. a, a kind of arbitrary arrangement of the views of millions of people, most of whom you'll never even meet. Exactly. And so there's so many very smart people who've been in the markets a long time and they come out with these phrases that you'll only understand if you if you get the core of what the problem is and that is yourself you know you you always get what you want out of the markets is one phrase and that's that means that that if you've got this um and you see it's with people who beat themselves up over a trade and that you know it wasn't perfect but you can't be perfect like you don't get perfection in in markets and if you you, you, don't get perfection anywhere no you can't it's impossible perfection is boring anyway exactly exactly and so it's it's understanding that there's a, a big difference between improving and learning more and becoming better and 
making the right decision that didn't necessarily go the right way, but it was still the right decision to take. And and, and there's a big difference. You can't beat yourself up over something that you... you, you... Exactly. But, but what the Enneagram can actually help you with is to understand why you made that decision at that time. Yeah. And have you read the um, Thinking Fast and Slow book by um, Daniel, Daniel Kahneman. Kahneman? No, I haven't. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you should read that. I mean, I think that's... That's absolutely. I've already, I've already jotted it down. So yeah, no, that's a fantastic <laughs> book about how people Thank make you. decisions, and it's, mm -hmm. it's. It, I think that relates more to trading. I, I was, you know, doing some. Mm -hmm. I was personally thinking about somehow, although I don't know enough about this stuff, and I don't think you know it would just take a long time to study, um, you know, all the different facets of it. But to create some kind of, of questionnaire that relates to how people think, getting to the real core of the problem. This is why I'm very interested mm -hmm. in this test, to see what piece of the puzzle it could place. And, you know, Tim's basically said it intuitively. It, it may have a role in, in understanding personality types in trading without actually it being for that. One of the problems with people taking tests is they always know that they're being tested and you said it right at the top of the show. How do you get an honest answer out of somebody? Um, I think after 170 odd questions, you, they, they may have some that are are kind of phrased in the same way, or sorry, in a different way, that are asking the same questions and they can spot when you're kind of not quite telling the truth perhaps. But it is, but it is actually that that is exactly how it works, because in the background, there's, of course, a lot more questions than the 175. And depending on the first questions are always the same, but they show the direction in which it's going. And then the, the questionnaire really tests out, OK, what is the right direction? And it's, it's constantly being updated. Um, that is why this test is so very accurate. Are those are those questions open or closed questions? Do they include, for example, or do they they um, accommodate the multiple choice, or are they open? There's multiple choice. There's oh. there's sorting questions that you put things right. in the right order for yourself, and and it uses all different kinds of techniques. I would I would from the sound of it, then it sounds like it's, it would be a little bit difficult to game that to try and cheat, if you like. Can you give us um, Can you give us an example? Actually, it, actually it is. It is. It really is. And. Um, in the end of the day, if you if you do it through a coach, like why well, you get a you get a separate um, report as well, um, where I can see, for example, how long someone um, needed to take the test. Usually, it takes between twenty and forty five minutes. And if somebody took it took it if it took three hours, for example, it was one of the first thing I would ask: Were you disturbed? Um, didn't you understand the questions? Um, I mean, for me here in Germany, some people the their English is not that good, so they struggle with that a bit, so they need longer to do the test. Um, it's not there in German yet, unfortunately, but I know they're working on it, and I'm really waiting for it to, to come out. Um, but also I can see, is there a consistency in the, in, the, in the answers, or was there a difference? So those are things that a coach can see afterwards. Isn't there a danger in another language that the subtlety of the question could be lost, or are they clear enough for it to, to be okay I think they're I think they're clear enough. Um, it, it's not for free. The test, if you do the, the the big assessment, which I would recommend to anyone, it costs a hundred euros, um, and it's a, just a waste of money if you want to, you know, fool yourself. Why would you do that? Yeah. So if you're not really if you're not really serious about it, then just don't do it. That's a good amount of money actually to to actually. Yeah. spend on a test because it's not frivolous um you know it's, no, not, it's, not. it's not too much for for anybody to do and it's not exactly. it's not like a fiver and you think well, you know i'll just 
yeah, yeah. And, it, it and it really it really is worth it it really is worth it i mean i'm i'm i'm, fa- I'm, I'm fascinated by it ever since i've started ever since i did my first test even though i was shocked and in denial <laughs> no but i really i managed to really work a lot on myself on on, on on a lot of things and it's um and it's worked it's worked i'm still at it it's 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 an it's an ongoing process because it's always about finding finding the balance and always depending on what stage you are in your life i mean so there's always going to be something that will bring you out of that balance obviously and um but you have a great tool to get back into the balance so it's not necessarily something for business anyway it's just something for for your life it could be for your for how you deal with your partner or something like that right is that true everything everything and that's that's the beauty of the whole thing and it is really it is a roadmap and it doesn't leave you alone it just it's just something the way you can constantly and you always find something new depending on what situation you're in you always find something new in it. And like you said, you can use it in business, which is absolutely great. Although somebody said, oh, I'm only going to work with people if they did the assessment, if they did the Enneagram and I know what type they are. I said, don't do that. It's because then you start putting people into, into boxes again. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe in that. The Enneagram does put you in the box, but you decide how big that box is. And that's what I love about it. And is it impossible for somebody to change from when they, so I think if I'm right, you said at the top of the show that you do not uh, expect somebody to change over over time. So even no. even if they know their result, they're not going to change. So and th- no. this is stuff that's hardwired as a child, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's it's more or less. It's my, It's always a discussion about nature and nurture, and I think a lot of it has to do with with if it's part of both. But you are born into your type. And um, well, are, are you or are you formed within the first? I read somewhere that you're formed within the first few years of your life, and that depends on how you've been brought up whether you've been told no to certain things, whether uh, the, the type of reward systems that you've been given, and um, it's, it's to, to do with parenting, no, certainly. So, there's a point in your life where you're malleable, um, but yes, ev- and no. but everybody, yes. everybody has. Everybody has something. Now, let me try and think what the example was. So, for example, you might have a personality type where you say to say to a child, right, tidy your room. And one child would absolutely love tidying their room. One child would just flat out refuse to do it. And another child would would do it if you gave them some money. They'd say, right, okay, give me some money and I'll do it. And then they'd be happy to do it. But the the goal in life is to find what you would do without the financial reward and that is kind of your personality it's part to do with your personality type what you Mm. love to do and it's where you get dissonance is when you're in a situation where perhaps you're in a job where you're getting paid to do something the money's the reward but actually you've got to find the thing that you would do without being paid and that's that's something again that that's kind of hardwired into everybody yeah but I also think I, I think I do believe you are born into your number. I, mm. Of course, nurture has a lot to do with it, and especially the first few years. But then you would have to consider my sister, for example. I have an older sister who grew up in the same environment as I did. She's a different number than I am, and she is and, and like cleaning up the room. I, I love that example because um, we shared a room until we were till I was seven. Um, and it was it was horrifying for her because my part of the room you couldn't get through it because it was just a complete mess and she was very neat. I bet you knew where everything was though. 
Of course I did. Yeah, well, that's the thing, because people of think course, messy I, people I don't know did. where stuff is. But they do. And it's like when, when people move stuff, you go, no, hang on, where was that? I know where that was, even though it looks like a mess. You don't like... It was on, it was, it was on that pile, two steps to exactly. the left. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a different mindset. Yeah. It is it's definitely. But that has to do with also with the, with the type you're born into, yeah. the type of person you are. Um, but yes, there is a lot. That, a lot has to do with nurture, of course. Of how you, for example, my my children. I tested my children because I was really curious what they are, and I realized they are. I wish I'd have. I would have known at a much younger age. Um, I would have understood a lot of my behavior a lot better. Wow. Um, and um, but well, what's the youngest no, age that you can actually test somebody, and it be relevant? Well, they well they say eighteen, but my my son is sixteen. I I had him took a test, but he's. Of course, more mature than other. You know, well, <laughs> just kidding. You know the you know the child. You know basically know whether they. I, I know the yeah, child, yeah. and um, I, since I raised my children bilingually, they don't have they didn't have a problem with the language. Um, so I think I think it really does depend a lot on the child. Of course, there's still development there, but the number, as I say, it doesn't change anyway. Um, so I do I do believe that um, if you have a mature child, you can do it with sixteen. I think that's a safe safe thing to say. The interesting thing about personality types, from what I learned, is that you know you get those spam emails saying that there's there's some dictator or something or some guy in 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 Africa somewhere who's got a load of money, and if you can just send him your bank details and a little bit of money for administration, then you're going to get like thirty million dollars <laughs> in your account. Um, oh yeah, there, there are there are people um, who Goldman Sachs Goldman Sachs also pull off that kind of stuff as well. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there are pe- there are personalities. I was shocked to find out that there are personality types who, who who have basically a tendency to believe anything. They'll just actually go, you know, something that we would intuitively say, okay, that's that's God, that's just the, you know a load of rubbish. But they would say, oh wow, yeah, great. You know, they just have this this element of trust that just is part of their personality, and that's why. That's why those those spam letters go out because although, you know, most people will react to it in the right way and just bin it, there are people out there who genuinely yeah. believe that that they've that that's an opportunity and it's not it's it's not stupidity and I think that that's no, that's not. the difference to make about you, it. You might you might also remember though there was a guy I think this was reported about a year or so ago there was a guy who died in Nigeria. And when they uh, that, when they uh, lifted up his floorboards, there was fifty million dollars in in cash there. And then, and then someone pointed out this poor sod's been trying to give it away for the last ten years, and no one ever listened to him. <laughs> no, but I do think there's. I mean, there's of course there's always people who are call them naive, or I'm not calling them stupid, but they are really naive. And it's also this, you know, there's this little bitch called hope. Um, that um, can be very seductive to to a lot of people when they when they see something like that, especially when they're maybe in dire situations and they think, oh my God, this just came in at the right time, <laughs> and not even thinking about it. I mean, just just look how how, how people they, as soon as people push something into your hand, you feel the the obligation almost to buy something, and and most people tick like that. I mean, there's there's there's, pro- there's probably a case also that that hope is. Perhaps the most, although hope is probably an evolutionarily conditioned thing, it's in our interest to be, let's say, hopeful or optimistic as a general rule. In the context, to come, to come back to, say, the topic of investing, uh, hope is probably the most disastrous characteristic to manifest because it, it's just it probably hope has probably killed 
You know, it's, it's probably destroyed more wealth than, than anything else. That's it's clinging true. on. Well, yeah. Clinging on. Absolutely. I would absolutely agree with that. I think that is something that is so dangerous when people really play on that. And it's even if you, you can you can even apply that to gambling when people get, you know, they 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 lose so much money. I think, okay, just one more time. And if, if I just get this one right, it's this and that's hope. It's nothing else but hope, hoping to get it right the next time. I would love somebody like I'd love to get the results of someone like um, you know, Donald Trump. It would just be fascinating. Oh yes. That would be really, really interesting. I mean, with you did say that you wouldn't try to predict somebody's personality, <laughs> but I'm gonna. I think you can guess what I'm about to ask. Oh, that really is a tough one. Active controller. I would say the eight. Yeah. Controller. Yeah, I would say the eight. That would be my best guess, to be honest. With a strong, with a strong wing of seven. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Enthusiastic visionary. Mm-hmm. Very enthusiastic. It's like this Pippi Longstocking, you know. I'm, I, I, I make the world as, as as I want it to be. That's that to me. That is, yeah. Really. So I think, yeah, almost quite I think, literally. I think, yeah. I, I remember there was um, emails going around about different personality types, and they related to to animals. Like somebody's like a. Do you remember that? And do you know where that's come from? It was, it was. I can't remember whether like you you're supposed to be like a, either a a fox or something or i can't remember but they they does that does that ring a bell with any type of personality tests well, well actually there there is actually um to every type in the enneagram there is an animal allocated to the to the type ah, okay. um, i don't know them all but for example the eight is classic it's the lion um the seven is the monkey because they uh, Type seven, the the enthusiastic visionary. They say this, it's this. They have this monkey or popcorn brain. You know, ideas just keep popping up again and again and again, and um, people get very confused with with sevens sometimes because they just can't keep up. And sevens just talk about their ideas and don't even need to realize each and every one of them. But other people think there is this necessity. So um, then there is one that has the fox as well. Oh, God, I can't remember right now. I'd have to look it up. But it's really quite interesting that every number does have um, have an animal allocated to it. Yeah. And so yeah. that talking of animals, that reminded me of the book The Chimp Paradox. I don't know if you've, if you've read that at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a lot, I have to really catch up on my reading. Okay, that's, uh, that's just about personalities like working out about your your own personality and the chimp inside you isn't going to change and how to manage that that chimp so it's a kind of self-help type book again and I only read books like that for what it teaches you about trading really and and the best way to uncover your own kind of weaknesses within trading Um, because I think everything comes down to it's a mind game. It's a mind sport, if you like. Always Re- releasing your inner chimp. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, w- what about um, what about body language? Do you do you do you read body language? Well, it's it's very often when you when you look at people. I mean, there's very basic things. It's it's. I do that more. In, it's 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 more intuition. I don't have a special training on body language, but yes, I do read people very very quickly. That's why I always insist when I do online trainings, for example, with someone that's farther away or in a different country or wherever, where we can't meet one on one. I need to see the person. I'll give you a really fantastic book on that, and you will absolutely love it. It's a book called. What Everybody Is Saying by a guy called Joe Navarro. You won't, mm. you, it, it's so, so good. He's a, an F, 
FBI negotiator and he would he Ooh. yeah he's just absolutely brilliant and all the little things that he tells you uh, about how to read people so when he would interview yeah. people for example he would say you never you never interview someone with a desk where you can't see their legs because their legs tell you a lot about what they're thinking because it's an unconscious thing so where their legs are pointing tells you what they're thinking so if their legs are pointing to the door it means they want to go if they're pointing to you it means they're engaged and it's just stuff like that it's just really simple mm. but really really clever stuff i can't rem yeah. i can't remember a lot of it i read it a long time ago but i i remember it just being such a brilliantly written practical book from somebody who had to use it in their business and it was uh, just just fascinating You'll have to send me a book list afterwards. <laughs> I'll put it, I'll put it in the show I'll put it in the show notes. Um, oh please do. Yeah, please when, do. I, when I go back through it, I'll I'll make a list of all. In, in which in which which case you also want was it called Paul Never Split the Difference? Never Split the Difference is another one. That's a fantastic book on negotiating, and I I think you should give it to your your children at the the earliest age that you think they uh you know they would respond to it. So of course I mean mm -hmm. you know negotiating at the age of twelve is probably important but not not really but around 16 17 I get I gave it to my yeah. nephew when he was 20 and it's just absolutely fantastic just ex, just explains how to negotiate and the, oh that's brilliant I have to give that to my daughter she's 20 now and I think she would like that it's a really good life skill everything everything is a negotiation see every it, it, as, as he says yeah. it's whether it's with your family whether it's with your boss whether it's whether it's you're trying to buy partner. a new car or partner or whatever, it's all a negotiation. And uh, so it's a really brilliant life book. So that's another one for the list. So I'll definitely, I'll definitely add oh, that. Brilliant. But um, the, the, only, the only question I would have just before we go to media picks would be about management and management style and how you've got, how would you create a, the, the, the perfect working environment? And I know that's a difficult question to answer, but. No. Not really. I think it's quite easy. Okay. It's, 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 it's an environment. And I was, I was extremely, I was extremely lucky. Um, in my first, one of my first jobs, I worked as a travel agent and uh, my former boss, she's still one of my very, very best friends. We've been befriended for over 30 years now. And I was lucky because that was exactly the work environment everybody should be in. I mean, she has employees in a travel agency that have been with her for 25 plus years, oh. which is unheard of yes. in that industry, unheard of. And um, what she did intuitively is she was very transparent where the company is at with numbers. She was, um, she, she was building on people's strengths. She was not micromanaging people, which I think is a huge problem um, that you have, that you have managers they have their employees which who are hired for a certain reason and they keep micromanaging them and telling them, have you done this already? Have you done that already? And people just feel so stressed. And that's, again, creates this culture of fear because you think, oh, God, I haven't done it fast enough. I haven't done it good enough. And stop. And she never expected us to do the things exactly the way she does because she acknowledged that everybody's different and everybody may have a different approach and a different timing. Of course, you wanted things to get done. And it wasn't that it was all, um, um, we were all one big happy family. When things went wrong, we spoke about it, but nobody was afraid um, to say, oh my God, I made this and that mistake. What can we do? And then we found a solution. Brilliant. But it was it was this open, and that's so that, that's why it's so easy for me. So transparency is important. 
working on um, playing on people's strengths, not on their weaknesses. She even when when she saw that somebody has has a certain talent of doing something, be it decorating the window, it doesn't matter. She let that person do it because they did it well. Yeah. And also the three, and that's one thing that I always say, and maybe that's the final word for me is. I, am a, I truly, truly believe that people need three things in a work environment or in any environment, except for food, a roof over their head and clothes, is really to be seen, to be heard and to be recognized. And I know that sounds very simple, but quite honestly, that's exactly how simple it is. That's amazing. Fantastic. The one the one thing I would just, just finish on in relation to the Enneagram is uh, just an observation or a suggestion to myself as much as anything in relation to, uh, again, the, the business of investing, particularly co- investing in company, in listed companies, so in, in listed businesses, buying shares, the one, uh, most of what we do is probably driven by sort of objective metrics, like hard metrics, like you know, cash flow, enterprise value, price to earnings, all this kind of stuff, mostly classic Ben Graham stuff. But the one thing that can't really be reduced to a figure to a number is the the character of corporate management, particularly the CEO. And I'm just thinking that I again I I wonder whether the enneagram as we've discussed it is also relatable to basically identifying certain specific shareholder friendly types of corporate management. There's a book that I I'm, I well I will see whether you read it or not. Have you heard of or read The Outsiders by William Thorndike? Mm-hmm. It's abs- it's an absolute classic, and again, it's one we can add to the list in the in the show notes. But the the outsiders, I'd say, is one of the best. But if you're if you're buying shares, um, in whatever capacity, whether it's privately or professionally, um, this is a, this is a must read book. And the, the 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 and this is this is the holy grail in terms of if you want to save a lot of time and money, then the two words you need to focus on are capital allocation. The very best investors and the very best corporate executives are superb capital allocators. In other words, what they do very, very well is decide which of the various things they could do with their money is is out of how to actually allocate and apportion that money. And here's just one example, and then we can move to media picks. But I suppose this is already this has already become one. Um there's so I've managed to effortlessly segue from one to another. So this is one of my one of my favorite stories. As a company called Capital Cities Broadcast. Basically the outsiders is a study of about 10 or a dozen Superb capital allocators, basically, from the, drawn from the the US 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 Inc. And the what, one of the best ones, my my favourite story is Capital Cities Broadcasting had a a guy called Tom Murphy who was the boss, and the headquarters of Capital Cities, which is a radio state series of radio stations, radio network, they had a, a headquarters that was in a dilapidated former convent, and when he was appointed CEO, his board begged him. To, to spruce the place up because they said it was painting a, you know, a terrible image to potential advertisers because it was in it's a sort of rundown shack. And what his response to that was he painted the two sides of the building that faced the road, the two sides of the building that didn't face the road, he left utterly untouched. Now that is someone who is capable of capital allocation. He was not going to waste money on cosmetic adjustments to the business that frankly weren't required. And that's clearly an extreme example, but it gets to the heart of like, basically, is this person shareholder friendly? In other words, they don't squander shareholder capital easily, and have they got a focus on the bottom line? And this guy clearly had it in spades. And Capital Cities, under his leadership, 
returned an annual compound return of more than 22% over 19 years. Wow. So these these kind of stories are incredible. And so I just wonder whether there is a kind of a, a an adaptation of the Enneagram that could basically effectively say, look, do, do these CEOs have the, some of the following characteristics? And if they do, you should lean, you should bias your equity portfolio in their favour. Uh, I think that's I think that's quite difficult. I, I do think it does have an influence if you would know what type of person it is. But still, everybody is so different and you never know what people are driven by anyways. Sure. But I guess all I'm saying is that in the, in the context of ma- in the context of making an investment, you cannot afford to overlook the personality characteristics of, of companies, of the, the people running companies, because that stuff can't be reduced to, a, to an Excel spreadsheet. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it really, the person who does run the company, it tells, it tells a big, big story, um, what, how the person acts, how, he, how that person reacts. So I, I, I totally agree. And, it's, and you can't keep that. And it, it is an emotional factor as well that you have to put into that because we are, we're all emotional. We're not robots. So even if it's, if it's, um, if it's not on the surface, Deep down, there is always a lot of emotion uh, involved in the decision-making, if you will invest or not. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, Tanya, what's your your media pick for us? My media pick, it it has very little to do with this, actually. Well, that's okay. That's okay. I could, of course, recommend some books on the Enneagram, and they're they're brilliant ones, really. but um, I'll come to that in a minute. Um, but there's one book I've really, I've always loved, and I gave it to my children at a very early age, and I love um, his TED Talks, and that's Ken Robinson. I don't know if you know him. Um, he had some, has three really great TED Talks on education, mm. because I believe in your development, and the educational system in Germany is catastrophic, in my opinion. Um, and what he shares there is absolutely brilliant. And he's written a lovely book. The book is called The Element, where he states that everybody has an element, something I think you mentioned it for, uh, earlier, Paul, um, something that, that, that doesn't feel like work, that doesn't, you don't need to necessarily get paid for it. You just do it because you love it, because you are in your element. And he speaks about people um, like uh, Paolo Coelho or Fleetwood Mac, Paul McCartney, people who knew that element at a very, very early age. Yes. Um, and it, it's a beautiful book, and I can really highly recommend it. That is superb. Thank you for that. And it, it's, it's amazing. And I think that's where it should start. And I think everybody should read that. And even at a young age, if you have children that enjoy reading or read it to them um, or read it yourself and talk to them about it, um, because what I always, what I tried to give my children was really every opportunity to do what they want to do. Yes. Be, but be the best version of that. And if you want to be a broom sweep, be the best broom sweep on earth and I'll buy your first broom if necessary. I don't, I don't care. I just want you to be fulfilled and do something that, that you are in your element. Absolutely. And that's what you want for your clients as well, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Tim. Uh, Short and sweet for me this time. The one I'm going to recommend is, uh, well, Tanya mentioned the gaze earlier. So I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Tom Allen. Um, He had a routine called absolutely live, which I watched yesterday. I think it was recorded last year. It's hilarious. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. I think I've probably mentioned 
far too many books in this already. So um, I'm going. <laughs> you can't mention too many books. It's impossible. It's impossible. Well, no, I, no, I really. This 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 podcast has been brought to you by Amazon. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I th- I think we've got plenty for the listeners. So I I'm going to leave it there and say, Tanya, thank you so much for coming on the show. If if well, somebody wants if somebody wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way of doing that? It's probably via email. It's um, tb um, at change minus and minus evolve dot com. Okay, um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Do you do you do you tweet, Tanya? I do. I have a Twitter account as well. It's uh, it's my name. It's Tanya Bonnes at Tanya Bonnes. So you will find me there. So I'd, I'd I'm happy for anyone who. Um, would like more information on what I do or even these my services, whatever, just or just get in touch if you have questions. I'll be happy to answer them. So Bonnes, that sounds French. Bonnes. It is actually an old French name, but very, very old. So. Right. Lovely. <laughs> yes. Well, Tanya, it is. thank you once again for coming on the show. Ben. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I was really pleased to be invited to your man's club. Well, it's not supposed to be a man's club. You see, it's like you, if there's any it's women not. out there, you want to come on the show. We want to have you on. It's like it's uh, it's not supposed to be. It's just it ends up being. No, it, so. doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. No, I was very I'm, I'm, I was really so happy to be here and chat with you. It was lovely. It's absolutely Thank lovely. you for having me. It's flown by. It really has. Thank you once again. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Brilliant. Tim, um, that was fantastic. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you. That was excellent. Really enjoyed that. Me too. Thank you. I was, I was, I hope you're happy. Oh, we're very happy. <laughs> Sorry. I thought, I thought you'd gone, Tanya. So I would have just said, thank you. No, Ta- I'm still here. Yeah, that's that brilliant. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not quite dead. I'm, he's not quite dead. It, it would have been, it'd been funny if they go, oh, that was terrible, wasn't it? It's like. <laughs> wasn't that awful? Oh, God, we're not. It's the last time we're having that cow we're on not the show. Not women on again. <laughs> it's like, oh, dear, I have to cut that right down. <laughs> I might, oh, you guys are great. I might leave this They're on, really... actually, because it's. Uh... Yeah, go for it. Go for yeah, it. do it. You have, my, you have my blessing. Thank you. You're an equal opportunities employer. So thank you very much to Millionaire Mentor for his question to me. And it's on the subject of house prices. And I was saying that I didn't think it was right that house prices are being inflated. It comes back to what Tim was saying earlier about inflation. And actually, the true level of inflation is much higher as we're seeing equity prices bubble up. We're also seeing gold prices, silver prices, and a lot of commodities bubbling up. So there's definitely some inflation there in the system. But it seems to be that this is the law of unintended consequences for all this QE that's going on. And the lid seems to be blowing off it. And that is a big problem. Hence, it's if you're a, a younger professional and trying to get on the housing ladder, how do you do that? Well, it's it's a quite, it's a difficult problem to solve, really. But I think it comes to the root of what I've learned from Tim and sound money. You've got to raise interest rates in this environment and then have a system of dealing with the fallout of the businesses that 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 can't survive that. So I would very much like to get to the heart of the problem, which would be to separate uh, investment banking with retail banking. I think that's a period uh, that that's something that could be done over a period of time. So you take the risk taking element of banking out of the system. You could do that slowly and move that towards another place, which would be the hedge funds, which is exactly where it should be. And if they fail, they fail. And if they succeed, they succeed. And with regard to 
the markets themselves, you wouldn't be needing to prop up banks with ultra low interest rates. And therefore, businesses could perform in a inverted commas normal fashion. So it, it's it's almost like backing away slowly from a, a, a big problem and how you would deal with that. But the root of it is raising interest rates to make it so that the, the weaker companies are are brought out of the system. But it also deals with this what seems to be this inflationary problem and will deflate the inflationary bubble of house prices. What 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 do you think, Tim? Um, I couldn't agree with you more. The, the only thing I would add is is that inflation is is the subject of my latest commentary. Brilliant. And as I, as I think I may have said, um, as I've just read three, in, in short succession, I read three separate pieces, all basically arguing that inflation is, is, is to come and, and modern monetary theory is to be unleashed. And I'm just going to leave you effectively with this quote from a guy called Harris Kupperman uh, in a piece he wrote in December called Inflation is Coming. Um, Quote, I think the roadmap ahead is a market crash followed by obscene fiscal stimulus. As always, I'm trying to think a few steps ahead here. I'm making a list of beatdown sectors who benefit from this change in government policy. I want to be ready to buy as soon as they get serious about unleashing the stimulus. You need a crisis that's severe enough that both, he's writing from the States, of course, you need a crisis that's severe enough that both political parties can agree on stimulus. We're not there yet, but we will be. If you thought QE was nutty, wait until you see what drunken sailor mode looks like. <laughs> Inflation is... Inflation is coming. Be very careful if you own assets with duration risk, unquote. So that's the, that was the first one. I So I read that in, well, probably uh, later last month in, in December. Um, the second piece is from Sir Stephen Wilkinson himself, a piece called Debt, Austrians and Investment Strategy. And the third is one that I came across last week, which is via the com- investment company Ruffer and their chief investment officer, a gentleman by the name of Henry Maxey. And he's just put out a piece called Dismantling the Deflation Machine. Um, and he basically his argument is that again we're going to see some messy inflation now because things are about to get out of whack. Now I, I happen to agree with those. The the skeptics to this argument would say, well, yes, but you know some of us, including myself, have been sort of thinking that things are about to collapse. Sit, you know, for the last ten years. To which my response would be, if we hadn't had QE and ZERP, we would already have had the collapse. Yes. but we haven't because the authorities have already got to uh, arguably to sort of drunken sailor mode already, but we're going to see more. So the thing is, the last Money Week Investor Conference, I've mentioned this before, the last Money Week Investor Conference in November, I mentioned it on the show, um, you had this this panel of three separate people whom I all respect, James Ferguson, The Economist, um, Julian Tett from the FT, and Dan Hannan, the, the MEP. They all basically strongly suggested that, that we were going to get MMT and you know the punishment beatings would continue until morale improves. <laughs> If they're correct, then basically there are some obvious things that investors should own or at least consider owning, and commodities is part of that, and gold is a sub a meaningful subset of that. So whether it's gold, bullion itself, or gold mines, I know I'm a gold bug, so this isn't hardly new news, but nevertheless, if you are serious, if you are sorry, if you are concerned and seriously concerned that there is uh the potential for a, a messy outbreak of inflation, then almost certainly the finest asset to own in that environment will be basically hard assets and in particular the monetary metals the likes of gold and silver so uh, because you probably want to own a process rather than a product you pro- you're probably your better bet will probably be an, a fairly valued miner as opposed to the, the physical asset because uh, gold as we know you know it doesn't pay a dividend doesn't pay a coupon 
but a, but a, a gold miner conceivably can do that. So uh, I just think that you know I've been worried about sort of this this uptick in inflation, a messy uptick in inflation for a while. But I just wonder whether 2020 is the year that, that it actually bites. It actually looks like we're going to see a move up in in the cryptocurrencies as well. There's some bubbling up going on there, and I, I think for it, for 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 all the for the same exactly, all the same reasons. Exactly all the same reasons, and and you can choose your weapon of choice to deal with. Inflation. Exactly, and but, clearly it makes. I mean, uh, there's two caveats. Firstly, it probably makes sense to diversify, even in terms of see, let's whatever your preferred monetary uh, alternative is, um, and. You know, clearly that the commodities can play a part and cryptocurrencies can play a part. But it also makes sense because it, it, it's not a given that we're going to get this out, outbreak of inflation. It also makes sense, of course, to diversify on a more mainstream basis. I can't see any attraction in bonds, but you probably want to diversify by asset class as well, because who knows what may be ahead. But I, I, I would cite our friend Harris Kupperman once again. If you thought QE was nutty, wait until you see what drunken sailor mode looks like. And on that note, I'd like to thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time. So thanks very much. And thanks again, Tim. Thanks again, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.